Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. Are you ready to minimize overwhelm and maximize your capacity to do your best work? In April, I'll be offering the Spring Clean for Authors four-week online support group to help you declutter your personal and professional lives. You can show your interest by pre-RSVPing today. Just visit ethanfreckleton.com slash declutter. That's ethanfreckleton.com slash declutter. Link will also be available in the show notes. Phoenix Williams is a best-selling and award-nominated author of paranormal and erotic romance novels. In 2012, she was preparing to graduate from law school when she realized, uh uh-oh, she didn't want to be a lawyer. So, she found herself pivoting to her first love, books, and began writing and independently publishing her stories. Three years later, she was picked up by a publisher and her career has since taken off. But after a while, a busy writing and promotional schedule had Phoenix on the brink of complete burnout. As some internet gurus are fond of saying, you've got to grind till your heart stops. Well, she finally gave herself permission to take a vacation, and one month turned into a year away from writing. What did Phoenix do to get back on track? Be sure to listen to today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. Phoenix Williams, welcome to The Fearless Storyteller. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, me too. And so for people who may not know who you are, um, what would you like to share about yourself? So um, I'm an author right out of Chicagoland. And um, I write everything from romance and erotica to paranormal. Um, Mm. I started writing back in 2012 when I decided to drop out of uh, of law school and become an author full-time. Wow, that's a big leap. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend doing that without a plan, but that's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody says says that. And so what, you know, out of curiosity, like what kind of led to that choice, life choice? I was sitting there looking at graduation in the face and realized, uh-oh, <laughs> I don't want to be a lawyer. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I love books and I loved writing. I was writing all the time in my spare time. Mm. I just really wanted to follow my passion. And it was a big decision because, you know, everybody in my life was like, oh, we're so proud of you. You're getting ready to graduate. And I'm sitting here miserable. So I had to make mm. a decision to do what, what I love. Yeah. Um, at least you figured that out before you graduated. That's <laughs> some people yeah. it takes a few years to like realize, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. But I suppose in that process, you gained some experiences that would help you with writing books and telling stories too. Yeah, definitely. It really helped me with the business aspect of it. Because one thing I've learned um, just, you know, being in the literary industry and talking to authors and um, and other, um, you know, literary professionals is that everybody is super down with the creative side, you know, the storytelling, the creating and all that. Mm. It's the business side that a lot of people are struggling with when it comes to, you know, getting your contracts right and not being taken for a ride. So that being, you know, studying law and all that really helped me be able to be able to um, keep what I create for myself. Mm. So you felt comfortable with the business, even though you're walking into something that you didn't really have a plan for. So, so what happened next? So what ended up happening was I spent from 2012 to 2015, I self-published. I think that was the best thing I ever could have done for my career. A lot of people, you know, you, you write your book and you want to get signed. So you mm. have to do a lot of the work yourself. Yeah. But that was a big learning experience for me. I learned everything from, you know, typesetting and editing, um, you know, graphic design, all those things I learned during my self-publishing days. And I made a lot of mistakes. And mm-hmm. so by the time I got ready to to sign in 2015, a publisher reached out to me, asked if I wanted to be signed to her because she had read my books and she liked them. Mm. So I knew what went into making a book. So when I went and looked at the contract, um, you know, they tell you what they're going to do for you. It was everything that a publisher should be doing. Right. That's uh, cool. For you. And I was able to, you know, kind of navigate that. And also I was, I had perfected my craft enough in those three years that I was messing around trying to figure things out where everything went pretty smoothly once I got signed. Mm. And when you got signed, was that for everything you do or for a specific kind of genre that you were writing? It was for everything that I, I do. I, I, I do. Uh, my publisher is very, um, it's very free in letting you express yourself. So mm. I know sometimes you'll get signed to a contract and it says, okay, only write mystery. That's all we want you for. Um, she's not like that. She's like, whatever you come up with, feel free. And yeah. then, you know, write it and then let's look at it and let's come up with a plan. So if your fan base is mostly romance, but now you want to write, you know, a futuristic sci-fi, how can we transfer your fan base over to the new stuff, you know? So she didn't really um, hamper me in being creative. No, that that sounds really supportive. And but did you have did you have any like doubts walking into that? Absolutely. 
when I first got signed, I was like, oh no, because now it's a bigger audience. You know, you have this machine behind you now. Mm. And so it's different. If I made a mistake while I was self-published, well, it was just me and my 200 fans. You know, it wasn't a big, uh, a big audience. Mm. When you have, you know, thousands and thousands of people now getting your book, you know, into their, you know, email and all that kind of stuff, seeing the newsletters and all that, and you're on different radio stations and podcasts and whatnot, it's, it's um, a, a very nerve wracking thing when you come from such a small self-published environment. And I was just, you know, so worried about making a mistake and, mm. I, you know, putting my best foot forward. But one thing you have to learn is everybody's going to make a mistake. You're going to go out there. Uh, some people are going to like you. Some people are not. Some people are going to love your book. Others are going to hate it. Um, and all you can do is try to write books that you like and build a brand that you can be proud of. Yeah. Yeah. And so did that slow you down for a while, that kind of doubt or that feeling of taking it slow or cautiously? It did. It took me, after my first series, it took me quite a while to try to figure out um, my second. I had like this whole thing of, well, okay, I need to put out something, but I'm not sure what it's going to be. And I was super insecure in my writing. And when I go back and I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I wrote like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so cautious and not trying to take any kind of like big leaps or anything like that. Um, but finally, when I started doing the paranormal, that's when I got really secure in myself and said, okay, you know what? I have to write the book that I want to read. And yes, my other stuff is great. I love it. But mm. this right here is, is the book that I want to write and I want to read and I want everybody to see. So yeah. my advice to everybody would be, you know, hey, you're going to be insecure, but you're going to have to figure out a way to get over that. And, and for me, it was just making friends in the industry and mm. them reading my stuff and being very critical and tell me where my weak points were so I could go ahead and work on those. Oh, well, so that, that would take some, I imagine, some humility to ask for that kind of feedback oh my gosh, and criticism. Yeah. <laughs> so what was, yeah. that, what was that like? <laughs> that was um, a time full of tears. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tears in, 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 uh, in uh, vodka, but, you know, you get through it. I, I had to come to the realization I do not know it all. And the, and the moment you realize that you don't know everything and that you are not the best at what you do and there's always someone better that can teach you how to do it better, mm. that's when you really start to see yourself flourish. Mm. And so the moment I started having people read my stuff and be very critical with me and tell me, oh, no, Phoenix, that's trash. I wouldn't put that out. You need to work on A through G and mm. then think about putting this book out that's when I really started to say, okay, my sales are going up. The readers are more engaged. They're remembering the books. After, mm. you know, months after they're asking me about, you know, a certain sentence that happened in a book or a certain scene or whatever, you have to be able to humble yourself and ask people for criticism. Mm. And once you do that, that's when you really know, okay, I really am an, an author. I'm not just a person that writes on the weekends. Yeah. And so you saw that correlation then kind of between 
taking that feedback and working on improving your craft and the readers getting behind your stories. Absolutely. Um, that's why I'm re-releasing my first series because that one, I didn't have any criticism. I just put it out and I was like, well, they like it, they like it. They don't, they don't. Um, mm. But with the Queens the Bee series, me having people go through and rip it to shreds, mm-hmm. number one, gave me a tough skin. So when the book came out and someone told me they didn't like it, I'm like, okay, well, that's like the, you know, tamest thing someone has said to me about <laughs> this book. So I'm not going to cry. Um, and then secondly, I know that by the time it came out, it was the very best it could have been. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So that's going to be a good feeling, but you're still going to get criticism and reviews and all that after you have done that work and put it out there. So how, how oh, do you, yeah. how do you manage that? Like, how do you deal with that? Or... One thing I will do is I have to make sure that I, I understand I cannot respond to these people. Okay. Mm. Cause you're going to get people that are going to give you a one star review and it's going to hurt. I, it hurts my feelings every time I get a one star review. Mm. I'll look at it. I'm like, what do you mean? You didn't get it. Did you not read it? What uh-huh. are you talking about? Um, but you have to understand that, yes, you like it. And the other 50 people who reviewed it liked it and that one person didn't like it. Mm. It's okay. Um, sometimes the criticism is real and you're able to take that and use it so your next book is greater. Other yeah. times it's just, you know, people ripping your book to shreds. That is the risk you take when you release something to the public, whether it's a, you know, a book or a song or a picture on Facebook. When you release anything to the public, everyone has an opinion and everybody feels like they can go ahead and express it. And with it being the internet now, you know, you have that um, people behind the laptop who are never going to see you ever in their life. They're really free with their words. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I suppose it's better than, and being met with indifference, right? Because nobody's saying anything. Do you remember a time when you like dealt with that where you just weren't getting feedback at all? Oh yes, definitely in the beginning of my career, I put a book out, no one said anything. Mm -hmm, (laughs) It was mm -hmm. crooked for months. And I was just sitting there like, oh, well, maybe I should go write another book. (laughs) <laughs> very rookie mistake go back and fix the book instead of just not you know instead of putting out another one yeah. um but that that right there i think is a lot harder because you don't know what the problem is you don't yeah. know what people are thinking because no one's saying anything right i think that's like a legit thing to help other people expect right the, those first stories you're not you're going to be flying in the dark and that's okay i guess Absolutely. I, you know what? I look back now and I think that was probably the most fun I had. I mean, mm. at the time I was very stressed, but I had so much fun because there were no expectations. The mm. moment you start hitting a bestsellers list, you are expected to hit mm. that list every single time. In the beginning, no one expects anything of you. So you can make a million mistakes and it's okay because no one expects anything. Right. And so when you started getting. F- like positive feedback and sales like were you surprised by any of the feedback you got about why people or what people liked about your books 
Oh yes, um, one of the one of my readers, and actually a few of them, have always called me the the queen of one liners. Mm. So I'll you know they'll read my book, and it's always like several sentences that just stick out to them from each of the books. And a lot of times, people will tell me it's the memorable characters. Mm. I write very realistic characters, even though it could be you know a paranormal sci-fi. The mm-hmm. characters they feel human. Yeah. They feel like they have, you know, human problems just like everybody else. So you're not um just reading something that you cannot connect to. That was the most surprising. Um I think when you are writing the book, the book feels less interesting than mm. when you read it because you know what's gonna happen. So mm. I always think my books are boring. That's mm. only because I know what's about to happen. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's okay. And then people were like, oh, it was so great. I was on the edge of my seat. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. really? Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> validating for sure. And so does that mean then, like, how much effort do you put into planning your books before you start? Nowadays, a lot. In the beginning, I mean, I didn't even outline. Mm. There are interviews out there with me talking about how I do not outline, I just write it. And I look back at that like, oh man, what was I thinking? Um, (laughs) But now I am an outliner that is extremely detailed. Mm. Um, I think a lot of authors take that route when they first start out and they're, you know, a panther. They don't really outline anything. But as you get busier and busier Mm. and you start having more and more books on your plate, it becomes a necessity you have to outline because you're going to come back to that book like, I have no clue what's going on. Mm. Yeah. Like if life gets in the way, you mean? Yes. You know, you start, because I, I write, I, I try to write every day. Does that happen all the time? No, because I'm also a huge procrastinator. Mm. Um, I don't start writing a book until I can see the deadline. <laughs> <laughs> and you still do that so right so like let's talk about that like what are the things that get in the way of getting in the writer's chair for me it is um procrastination honestly i'll sit here i'll come home like okay yeah i'm gonna go ahead and get some writing done and then you know I'll end up watching some anime for a couple of hours and oh, mm. time to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Or like it's time, it's the weekend and there's a new restaurant open. I want to go try that out. Or, um, you know, I'll plan a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. My son is starting high school, so you know, mm. that's a busy time. Um, yeah. It's a lot of things that just, you know, little things that pop up or you'll just be like, oh, I don't feel like it. Yeah. And so I'm not going to do it because for me, my writing process suffers if I force it. If mm. I force it out, you can feel it in every word that you read. Mm. If it's coming organically for me, then we're all having a great time uh, as we're reading the book. That's a good point. And like, do you have specific times you noticed that or your readers noticed perhaps that you were forcing yes. it? Um, I was writing in an anthology a few years back. Um, the anthology is no longer out, but I was writing one and they were like, wow, it felt like you just shoved those words in there because mm. wrote it like when I didn't feel like I wanted to, but because mm. I had committed myself to that anthology, I said, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to put it out. It was not my best work. Yeah. And had I 
planned out what I was going to write and had I actually started it when I wanted to and not go out and have, you know, the best time ever out in mm. the street, my friends, mm-hmm. and home and actually did my job, it wouldn't have been forced. It wouldn't have been a night before a deadline. Uh-oh, let me go ahead and just put some words on the page. Right. And and yet, you're still self-described as a deadline writer. So how have you shifted that to be able to not have it feel forced? Right now, I tell myself, okay, but I have a deadline that is at the end of March. I know mm. I need to start writing by February 28th. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't wait until March 28th to write this book. I have to do it now. And next Friday, I have to start. But the good thing is the book, when I say I plan out everything, every mm. single scene in my book is planned out. It has pictures mm. attached to it. Uh-huh. It has lines of dialogue. So all I do is I look at it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. And then it brings back my memory, and I can go right ahead and write it. And it, it helps so much. So I'll spend, like, let's say I have a, um, a deadline that's in December. Probably mm-hmm. in June, I'll go ahead and I'll spend a good three to four hours planning out the entire book. So in November, when I start writing it, I can go ahead and remember everything I was thinking in June. Mm. And it'll be so much easier for me and I can knock the book out within three weeks. Right. And so how are you, how are you using, you mentioned pictures. And so how are you using pictures in that planning process? So I'll go ahead and my, um, I have a story Bible. I can't even call it an outline anymore. It's a story Bible. I have like an Excel workbook. Mm. And so I'll plan out the scenes and then I have like my little tables where I attach things from different workbooks for the pictures. So I have a picture for like the setting, the characters that are in it. I have the time of day listed, how long that scene lasts, like in terms of like minutes and hours. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is planned out to the very last detail. I find that to be better, especially with the pictures, mm-hmm. because when I go back to my earlier books, a lot of times I wasn't describing the scene very detailed like, but I couldn't mm-hmm. remember. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. remember what I came up with. Yeah. So now with the picture, okay, I know that this is the living room and it has this furniture in it and it looks just like this picture. So I'm going to write everything I see in this picture and we're going to go from there. Mm. Mm. And so I guess the question, the unanswered question that I haven't really asked is like, why writing? Why writing books? It's probably not the easiest passion to engage in. I think books are for people who have an active imagination, but are very shy. Mm. Um, And I'm one of those people, you probably can't tell, but... (laughs) I am a very shy person and I have a lot to say. And for me, it's easier just to write it down. And when you have a very active imagination and you have like these lines of dialogue, you get inspired just by watching people. That's the reason why I picked writing. There's no other profession where I can people watch and be able to think of, oh, what do they do in their spare time? And be able to write it down and other people can see what I'm thinking too. Yeah. That makes sense. And so why paranormal and erotica? So paranormal is because I am a huge 
anime and manga fan. Okay. And I wanted to do something like that, but I cannot draw. So <laughs> <laughs> I figured Paranormal would be the closest. I really didn't think anybody was going to read that series because everybody was so used to my romance and my erotica series. Yeah. That when it came out with the Paranormal, that was completely left field. Mm. Um, but I probably am more successful right now in the paranormal than I've ever been in the romance and erotica. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really just my love of anime and manga that started that series. And as for the romance, everybody loves a good love story. And erotica was just a natural progression from that. Mm -hmm. um, from the romance series, you know, almost every author who writes in romance kind of transitions over at least once in their career to erotica and then maybe back to romance, depending on how that, they did it in erotica. So sure. it's a, it was a natural like flow for that. The paranormal was like the big, the big leap. <laughs> so you, uh, I have this, you know, little anecdotal observation. You go, it sounds like you go to writers conferences or you do some networking with other writers as part of what you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> Just, you know, funny observation, it's, it seems like for me, the number of drinks you give somebody by the genre they write in is how many drinks it will take them to tell you their erotica pen name. <laughs> That's so true. There's a lot of authors out there that, go, that have a pen name for just their erotica you would never know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just just a funny little aside there. Um but culturally it's it's kind of a taboo thing to just talk about like out in public and to acknowledge, right? Like it's kind of like that you have to be drinking or behind closed doors to really discuss it. So like how like did you worry about writing these or having people see these stories when you started? Maybe. I was a bit worried because my grandma reads my books, okay? Mm. And, <laughs> and I was worried about what she would say because she's very much a Southern gal and I did not want to offend her sensibilities. Mm. But I had to take the leap and do what I wanted to do for the story. I couldn't mm. water the story down. It would be a disservice to the characters that I created to water it down and edit out those things. Mm. Um, now, there's certain things that I could have maybe left out, but I decided not to. Um, mm. So when it came time for the books came, to come out, I did warn everybody, because I think it's a big thing for erotica mm. authors, is, you know, you tell your... Um, your your friends and your family, like, hey, okay, I got this book coming out, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's erotica. You can buy it, just don't read it. And that's what <laughs> a lot of my family did. They bought it and have not read that series. <laughs> as far as they tell you. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, too. I tell all the people who are asking me, because a lot of people ask me, oh, well, Phoenix, how do you... Uh, write erotica. I tell them you need to start with an actual storyline. Mm. The mm. way that I write mine is if my grandma can read my book and skip over the sex scenes and still understand 
what's happening in this book and what the storyline is, mm-hmm. it's a good book. Mm. And so, yeah, I guess there's in the industry, right? And in the marketplace, there's a subtle difference between steamy romance and erotica. So where's that line? Steamy romance, now everybody's opinion is different, but the way I interpreted it was steamy romance has maybe one to two sex scenes and then the other parts of the book, if they are um, going towards the sex scene, it won't be explicit. Mm. Erotica Mm. takes out all those restrictions and you do what you want, okay? You can be as explicit as you want in there. It can be you know, a whole book just full of smut if you wanted it to be that. Mm-hmm. I tend to write what I call erotic romance mm-hmm. where, yes, it is an erotica, but there is an actual love story in it. Right. Keyword on, you know, keyword story. There has to be a storyline in this. I read a lot of people's books. They'll send me their books and ask me to give them my opinion. And when it comes to the erotica, a lot of times it's like, sex scene, sex scene, another sex scene and i'm like when do these people talk to each other right do they have any problems in their lives i wouldn't know because it's a whole lot of sex scenes right right and i guess shifting gears a little bit i know that a lot of people will say they're steamy romance because you it's a lot harder to advertise erotica or erotic romance right yeah and I guess first question about that is how do you feel about that that there is kind of this this wall or this box where that's put into these restrictions in place? I don't feel that it is fair um, for the erotica authors because that's one of the biggest genres. Mm. I could you know name several authors that are making you know close to five figures a month on erotica books. And mm-hmm. yet, it is very hard to get people to um, to have it marketed because everybody says, you know, oh, the um, the sexual content, you know, you can't go ahead and promote that on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, what have you. So you got to kind of water it down in your advertisements. And then when they read the book, they're like, oh, whoa, what's this? Right. Um, <laughs> and even Amazon started, you know, putting in restrictions as well so it got it you have to understand that if you're going to write erotica it's going to be you know a tough road to toe you're going to be out here you know really really working hard uh probably doubly so than other authors because you're going to have so many restrictions on you not to say that it can't be done it can but you have to have a really solid marketing plan right and it's already hard enough just being an author to get your stuff out there absolutely and so talking about then like how do for somebody who wanted to get into erotica and they need that plan and you're starting from zero like how do you learn enough to feel confident that i'm going to be able to get these books into readers hands the first thing you need to do the first thing i recommend for any author is you know obviously you've read hopefully a lot of erotica books okay Mm -hmm. The next step is to read a bunch of books that are not erotica. Hmm. Never read the books that are in your genre while you're writing your book. Uh-huh. Uh, because you'll, sound, you'll sound just like everybody else. Hmm. 
And so um, you do want to read it beforehand so you kind of know like the, the um, I don't want to say, well, you could say tropes yeah. that are used in the, um, in the genre and the way things are, you know, the land is laid there. But then you also want to read other genres so you can go ahead and flip those same tropes on its head. Mm. The next thing you want to go ahead and do is you want to write the book and you need people to criticize that book. It mm. has to have a story. These days, there's like, what, ten to 15,000 books coming out every day on Amazon. What's going to make your stand out if it's an erotica? It has to be the storyline. Mm. Um, after that, it's time to start thinking about a marketing plan. Before you even think about putting this book out, because a lot of authors rush this, they'll say, okay, I finished my book in March. It's coming out in April. Right. You need at least 60 to 90 days of pure marketing before you put this book out. Right. Build up a newsletter um, a newsletter list. You know, Get some advertising and, and book promo budgets together. Um, have people who are um, mm -hmm. in your genre who are maybe more well-known than you, have them go ahead and, um, and put, do like a little blurb for your book or whatever. Get an editorial review done for mm. your book. Do all these things so that way you can go ahead and put your best foot forward. Mm. I know a lot of people who wouldn't even start unless they believed that they knew how to get there. And so are there like like specific resources or places people can go to like market and advertise yes. effectively, I should say. <laughs> yes. So when it's coming for, well, of course, BookBub is one of the biggest ones. Mm -hmm. um, everybody wants to get in the BookBub. I want to get in the BookBub. Please take me, BookBub, if you're listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> please. Me too. <laughs> Um, okay, then you also have things like uh, Book Butterfly, Book Funnel, uh, Fussy Librarian, Awesome Gang. These are all resources that are out there that mm. can help you. Book Funnel will definitely help you build up your newsletter list. Mm. I built mine up from 50 to 500 subscribers in three weeks. Wow, yeah. And, and how many of those turned into buyers? Um, Last I checked, it was 64%. That's huge. Wow. Congratulations. I, I noticed, uh, you know, it, kind of on that line, I noticed you, you give some talks or have given some talks, and one of them is called Smutty Princess Creating Erotica <laughs> That Resonates. And so I would imagine that you had to be creating something that resonates to get that kind of conversion. And so... Absolutely. With the with the erotica series that I have, it's the um, Sex Lives and Friendship. Mm. That one right there is just about a group of friends who come back together after several years of being apart and everybody's falling in and out of love with each other and others. These are mm. real life things. So mm -hmm. if you're writing an erotica book, don't make it so... I'll just tell you this. This is the example I use in my same talk. Mm -hmm. I've gone to a lot of beaches, okay, in my life. Mm -hmm. I have never walked on a beach, ran into a billionaire who instantly fell in love with me and took me away to Paris. That is mm. not real life. What? If that's the case, <laughs> everybody would be on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was Waikiki. 
<laughs> you have to be able to, <laughs> you have to write something that everybody can deal with. Have people with real jobs and real problems. Mm. Not everybody can be a billionaire. Someone has to work in the IT department. Mm-hmm. Someone has to be the you know administrative associate. Everybody mm-hmm. needs to have you know a real job. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like author. <laughs> Not that job. That job is lonely. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we're trying to destigmatize the career. Okay, let me rephrase that. It's lonely during the writing process, but it can be fun. If you make you a lot of author friends out there mm. and authors, I don't know why people think, you know, we're all just isolated in our own little shells. We are fun people. You know, we can get yeah, together absolutely. and have a great time. Oh, yeah. So what are you, rec- in, in that way, like, what are you, like, what's your survival kit for not being isolated and burning out and all those things? You have to get out of your home, okay? I know it's hard. I was one of those authors that was like, oh, no, I'm staying in my writer's den forever. You have to get out. You have to get out the house, and you have to take breaks um, because you will burn out. I remember I burned out so bad that I took a whole year off, and Mm. when I came back, I had to start from scratch with my career. And so you have to take breaks, whether... um, you create you like I, I find it easier for myself to create what I call a yearly writing schedule. Well, okay. I will write the majority of my books for the year between October and March. I don't write for the rest of the year. Okay. I'll go on book tour and I'll release all those books. So you'll see it looks like I'm releasing a book every single month and like, oh my gosh, how did she write all those books? I wrote them during the Christmas season. During the holiday season, Is that you know? because the days are shorter and the weather sucks and all that? Exactly. And I'm here in Illinois where it was a polar vortex, so I wasn't going outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's easier to do that. For some people, I know some authors will take, you know, um, they'll write a book for a month and then they'll take two months off and then they'll come back and they'll do it. You have to set boundaries for yourself um, mm. and surround yourself with good people. My best friend knows if she has not heard from me all week, it's time to come to my home mm. and drag me out of my house because otherwise I'll be sitting there in front of that laptop, either trying to market the book, trying to come up with book ideas or actually writing the book. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and so are you comfortable talking more about that burnout year? Where you kind of Oh, yes. Out? Yeah. So what happened and how did you get out of it? So what ended up happening was I got signed um, in 2015. Between 2015 and 2017, I put out a total of 12 books. Mm-hmm. I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. I didn't, I, if I wasn't writing, I was on tour. I was at somebody's event. Um, I had a day job at the time as well. So I was constantly working. Mm-hmm. And then to come and do speeches and all that kind of stuff. And then I looked up one day and I was like, oh my God, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. couldn't write anymore. Like my brain was fried. I couldn't think of any book ideas. I would just sit there. I was so like deep into like a depression because I had not taken time off in two years from anything. Mm-hmm. So I took a year off. Luckily my publisher was like super supportive and um, 
I wasn't even planning on taking a year. I was planning on taking like a, a month or two. Right. But I had so much fun. I went on vacation. I went to Miami, had the best time ever. I just, <laughs> you know, I went to Minnesota to go fishing. Like I just had so much fun. I figured out what I wanted my career to look like. Mm. And then I had to create, uh, I had to tell myself, hey, look, the readers who really love you, they will be there for you. You do not have to kill yourself writing books almost every single month for a career. If that's the case, then this isn't the career for you. You have a child, you have a life, you need to be able to, you know, live outside of your laptop. Mm. And so a lot of times authors, we are like, okay, I just want the big one. I want to hit the New York Times. I want to hit the USA Today. But you have to take joy in those small victories and knowing, okay, at this point in my career, that's enough. Let me step away for a little bit. And when I come back, I'll be refreshed and be able to write a better book. If you are constantly pushing yourself for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, you're going to look up and two years are going to pass and you are going to be burnt the hell out and very, mm. very sad with the state of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I know culturally we, we, we celebrate working hard and not taking breaks and grinding and earning our success. Um, like, is that something you grew up with, like an expectation? Yeah. You know what? My parents, my, my father's an entrepreneur. He's uh, He was self-employed, retired early and all that good stuff. My mm-hmm. mom worked in IT. Um, and so I was always surrounded by people who were always, you know, working and striving for their dreams, but they balanced that with their, um, with their home life and making sure all the kids were taken care of and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think what influenced me the most was this whole internet culture. Mm. You're on social media. As an author, you have to be on social media. And you see everybody out there saying, you know, grind, don't stop until your heart drops. You know, like, oh my mm. gosh, I don't want that to be me. <laughs> you know, so you know, when you see everybody else posting, like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. You're like, well, I'm not doing enough. Let me, you know, go ahead yeah. and try to, if I work as hard as they are, I can be just like them, not even realizing that a lot of times they're on vacation when they're saying these things. <laughs> right, because they, they didn't have time to write it. Exactly. They've already, uh, the pictures that they're posting of all the things that they're, they all the books they've written, they wrote those months ago. They're mm-hmm. just posting them now because the book's getting ready to come out. You know, like you have to look at social media and then apply your realism filter to it. Mm-hmm. No one mm-hmm. shows you the bad things on Instagram. Mm. No one shows or tells you the bad stuff on Twitter and, and Facebook. So of course everybody looks like they're going ahead and they're grinding and they're grinding and they're never stopping because they're not gonna tell you when they stop. Mm. Right. Um <laughs> yeah that's that's also true and like online's a double edged sword because everything I've learned that got me into position. I learned online and in podcasts, right? And community. Uh, and it's an easy way to distract yourself from your true north. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Probably even listening to this podcast might distract somebody from their true north. Now they're going to go 
quit what they're doing and take a year of vacation and have a lot of fun. If you decide to do that, don't come back and say, Phoenix, you told me to take a year. No, that's Phoenix not told I me I need to have a year of fun and go fishing and hit Miami Beach. And... <laughs> no, what I'm saying is find balance. You got to find a balance because if you don't, because like I told you, I took the year off and I came back and I had to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. That was very hard when you come back and people are like, oh yeah, I remember you. It's the worst feeling. Mm. Yeah, I remember you. You were really big a couple of years ago. Mm. Mm. And how did you deal with that? I was like, oh man, this sucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's time for me now that um now that I'm back to go ahead and really put out some good work. And so I put out the paranormal series. Mm. Mm. And like for people who are curious, what's that series? All right. So the paranormal series is Queens of Beast, and it is inspired all of all from my love of anime and manga and all things weird. Um, and it, it starts off with the book uh, Queens of Beast: The Life, Love, and Death of Adara Mashal, mm. and we are following her journey as she returns to America after being away in Japan for 13 years when her parents just dropped her off one night and she woke up when she was in Japan. Mm. And she's back now after training to be an assassin for 13 years because her grandmother was murdered. Mm. And so she goes to her grandmother's town of Hellfire Valley and she learns that not everything is as it seems and there are a lot of monsters beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... You know, you sent me that book and I had a chance to read and enjoy that. And I I noticed a lot of themes around like family and abandonment and kind of dysfunction, right? In family and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a strong theme in all of my books. That's what I wanted to get at, right? Like, like, is, and is that something you choose or is that just something that kind of comes out as you come up with these stories? I like family stories. I grew up in a very close-knit family. And so most of my memories, most of the, like our, our stories that we talk about when we're all together on Thanksgiving are surrounded or you know, entrenched in the family. Mm-hmm. And so even with my friends, I always say they're my family that I chose, you know, um, and so all of my books are either a family saga or a friendship group, because that's what I know. Um, as for the dysfunction that comes in there, I tell everybody, there is no normal family. Mm. Every family is weird, okay? Mm-hmm. You just don't realize that your family is weird until you see someone else, and you're like, oh, maybe mine is, you know a little off too mm. um, so i try to write those things in the course and then you got to add in the drama and all that kind of stuff and nothing is more drama filled than a dysfunctional family right. and that's something that everybody can relate to because everybody's family is weird right maybe that's why the godfather was so successful yes thing, right yeah that makes total sense and so who are your readers like what do you know about your readers my readers are an eclectic bunch. Um, <laughs> they range anywhere from 15 up to, I think my oldest reader is 75. Mm. 
and well, the oldest, the oldest that I know about. If mm-hmm. anyone older, feel free to reach out to me, and we'll say your age if you want to share. Um, <laughs> but uh, there are most of them are women. There's a few guys in there as well, um, but they all pretty much have the same kind of um, uh, background where they they are from a a very close knit family mm. or a close knit group of friends. And so that's why they enjoy my, my books so much because they're able to see either their friends in my books or themselves or their families. Like, oh, you know, that one character reminds me so much of my mom or so much of my sister or whatever it is. Mm. And so um, the people who read my books are those who understand that people are weird, understand mm. that everybody's a little bit crazy. And it's okay because even crazy people should get a happy ending. <laughs> mm. Even crazy people should get a happy ending. Absolutely. We're all crazy. Yeah. And so I noticed <laughs> that another one of your talks is uh, more than Black Panther, diversity in science fiction. Yes. You want to talk about that? Absolutely. So whenever I go to a convention or what have you, and they see, you know, the romance books on the table, or those, and then they see the the paranormal series, they're like, "Oh, is it like Black Panther?" Mm. No. <laughs> uh-huh. There's more. <laughs> there's more um, the Black sci-fi and uh, Black paranormal than the Marvel character. You know mm. what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I think that um, we need to create more um, a, a bigger conversation around diversity in sci-fi and not even just in terms of ethnicity, but also in terms of women as well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times women get overlooked in the sci-fi because it's a it's a genre that's ran by men. Right. So it, it shouldn't just it shouldn't just it shouldn't just be white patriarchy in space perpetuating <laughs> colonization. You're saying that's that, that's not what we want our market to be. Absolutely, and I feel like also if we are going to be writing characters that are super diverse, you have people who are shapeshifters. Yeah, you know, characters that are aliens, and you know, some that are whatever the hell. You have all this diversity going on inside the book. Mm. It should also, you know, we should also celebrate those that are writing the book that are also from a diverse background. Yeah. And so I try to, in that talk, encourage authors who are, you know, of, of women um, of color, LGBTQ plus, to go ahead and try to write um, some kind of sci-fi, some kind of mm. paranormal. Mm-hmm. Get our voices out there. And even if you don't decide to write it, try to amplify the voice of someone that you know is writing it. So yeah. that way it won't be such a, oh, you write paranormal? I didn't think, you know, uh, a black woman would write that. It would right. be more like, oh, okay, you wrote it? That's great. I love it. You know, yeah. it won't be such a weird thing to see. Yeah, I, I hope people are encouraged right now because it feels like in 2020, like heading into this, that every voice like has an opportunity to speak to a niche that's just waiting for those stories. Like absolutely, absolutely, your tribe is out there. You just have to go find it. They're waiting for you. Yeah, and sometimes you have to go build it. <laughs> yes, and that's can sound a little overwhelming if you're just starting out. 
It can, but here's the thing. You just take it one step at a time. I'm not telling you to go out there and start a rally in the middle of Main Street, wherever you are. All I'm saying is write your book. Books change the world. Authors have the ability to show society themselves Mm -hmm. in a way that's entertaining and Mm -hmm. educational. So it's up to you to go ahead and tell society what you think about them in a nice way, in an entertaining way, Mm -hmm. in an educational way as well. And then once you do that and you start, you know, really talking about your book, really going out there and pushing it, your tribe will come to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe that firmly and I know that from seeing the data. Right. And so I love that you reached out to me or, you know, that you had people reach out to me so we could have this conversation. And thank you so much. I had such a great time. It's so much fun. Yeah. And so for people who want to find you, how can they do so? I'm on everything. Um, so you, can, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me everywhere. Half the um, year or all year? <laughs> you can find me. On, I'm on Instagram the most. Okay? okay. I'm not going to lie. I don't really, I mean, I go on other stuff, but I mean, if you want to really connect with me, Instagram is where to find me. Mm. And that's um, at Phoenix Williams book. Okay. On Facebook is just Phoenix Williams. And on Twitter it is Phoenix underscore William. No S on the end because someone took that name already. I am on Snapchat, but you know, I only go on there to take pictures for myself. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go on there and try to follow me. <laughs> Fair enough. That's great. Yeah. And um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Phoenix. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm super excited. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.